morning, church. Oh, man. I'm so excited and so encouraged on so many levels. Just a fresh reminder that God's mercy is more. His mercy is more. All of the struggles that we're facing, our awareness of sin in our lives, what awaits us this fall, it's just so good to be together to remember that God's mercy supersedes all of those things, and He's gathered us together this morning to meet with us. We get to meet with Him this morning. My prayer has been that in a fresh way we would encounter Him and that we would learn more again of Jesus and see Him afresh this morning. So I want to welcome you all. I want to welcome you if you're at home tuning in, whether you're listening now or you're tuning in sometime later this, the, this evening or later this week. Welcome. I'm glad you've joined us. Um, hopefully, if you're online right now, hopefully you saw some of the scrolling announcements. We're trying to do, Dana try to get that queued up this week so that just like on a Sunday morning, you can begin to see the things that are going on. So whether it was the Bible studies, the survey we're looking for feedback on, the youth barbecue that's coming up on the 12th, hopefully you'll be able to see those things. And then underneath your video, the YouTube video, you'll be able to see links that you can click on just like the e-liturgy has. And those are just small steps that we're trying to take to make sure that we're all together included and not missing things on Sunday morning. So glad you're with us, glad you're joining us, whether you're here now or you're online. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. We're going to conclude our series on Titus this morning, and I really believe, church, as always is the case, but I really believe that this letter has been super timely for us as a church. And no doubt, um, with summer schedules, maybe we didn't get every message. Maybe we didn't listen to every sermon. Or maybe you're new this morning and you're just coming and you haven't really listened along in the series on Paul's letter to Titus. And so before we jump into the concluding verses, just a quick recap, just so that we're, we're knowing that we're jumping in midstream. And, and as, as Paul closes the letter, there's so much that has gone before. So quick recap in the book of Titus. Right, so we know that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to his friend and, and co-laborer, co-minister, Titus, who is on the island of Crete in the ancient Mediterranean Sea. Okay, and Crete was a place where Paul planted churches strategically because there was a lot of very well-traveled port cities on this island, which, which were great places for churches to be planted because there was many people that could be encountering Christians and hearing the good news about Jesus. So Crete was a very strategic place to plant churches. So Paul, who is something of a mentor to Titus, is writing and he's giving Titus very specific tasks that he might focus on while he's serving God on this island. So in chapter 1, we see that one of the main things Titus was supposed to do was to appoint elders to look for godly men, mature Christian men, who were able to teach God's word and back it up with their lifestyle. That's chapter 1. In chapter 2, Paul starts to tell Titus, another task that I want you to focus on is we need to deal with the false teachers that are infiltrating the church and they're upsetting people with their bad teaching and their immoral lifestyle. So you've got to address those guys, Titus. And then in chapters 2 and 3, Paul starts to tell Titus, now I want you to really focus, the task at hand is to, is to teach sound doctrine 
so that men and women and families and whole communities would be transformed as men and women as children begin to apply God's truth to their lives. Now Paul is going to start to conclude the letter, and then once again he's going to root all of this in the gospel. He's, he's saying we're not called just to be better human beings. We're not called just to be moral human beings. We're called to live this way because God has infiltrated our lives. He's made us new human beings. He's given us His Holy Spirit, and He means for us to live in such a way where other people would see and behold Jesus. Okay, that's Paul's aim. That's his heartbeat. I'm trying to peer into this letter once again. And God, what is Paul's heart? What is your heart in this letter? So as he brings it to a close today, let's read these final verses that Paul writes to us. Titus chapter 3, verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to spend to send to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Father, as we close our time now in this letter, I pray that all of the purposes that you had for us, all of the ways that you've spoken to us and even want to speak to us again this morning, that you'd bring those purposes home to our hearts, that we would understand and discern what it is that you're calling us to and the grace by which we are enabled to live. Help us, empower us now, meet us in a fresh way this morning as we peer once again into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, we're trying to, to tap into the pastoral heart of Paul. Why is he writing this letter? What's his heart? What is God's heart here? And perhaps one way to summarize Paul's pastoral heart, what he's aiming at, what he desires for these Christians to know and to learn, what he's calling them to, might be summed up in three simple words. Show them Jesus. That's Paul's heart here. That's been his heart throughout the letter. Show them Jesus. Now, the Christians that were living on the island of Crete, just like us, were tempted, no doubt, to run away from their culture, to hide, to isolate themselves because there was so much out there that distracted and disoriented them. Just like us, no doubt there were other ways in life where it was just so much easier to go with the flow and just to live how everyone else was living, to assimilate into culture. And just like us, the Cretan Christians were no doubt tempted at times to just rise up and to live life according to their own ways of thinking, for their own personal benefits, doing the things that made sense to them. And Paul's pastoral heart again and again was, church, show them Jesus. Show them Jesus. And in these closing verses, we're going to see once again that Paul's heart, his mission, the reason why he even came to Crete, the reason why he sent Titus to Crete is once again, I want the world to see the beauty and the power and the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Show them Jesus. That's what I believe God's heart is for us once again 
as we close this letter. So Paul's pastoral heart is show them Jesus, church. And in order to do that, he helps us. He gives us three encouraging closing remarks that tell us about a model, a method, and a motivation. A model, a method, and a motivation. That's what we see in these final verses. He doesn't just call us to show them Jesus. He gives us some help. A model, a method, and a motivation. First, a model. In verses 12 and 13 here, Paul is doing more than just simply detailing his ministry plans. He's doing more than just informing Titus of what's about to go down. Paul, especially for Titus, Paul is offering, once again, examples. These are men, especially for Titus, that he would have looked at. These are models for him to follow. Titus would have been able to look at these men and know this is what living as a Christian meant. These are models for me. When, when Titus heard of these men coming, when he, when he interacted with these men, these were mature, godly Christian workers that he could look to as a model. Paul is using them in a subtle way to remind Titus he has models to follow. Now, relatively speaking, the, we don't know that much about these guys. In fact, only two of them, Tychicus and Apollos, are even mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Tychicus has been sent a number of times by Paul to other churches, and it says twice in Scripture that he was a faithful minister and that he was an encourager. He, he was sent to encourage the hearts of the believers where he was sent. In Acts chapter 18, Apollos is said to be a very eloquent speaker, but he's a super humble learner. He learned more of what it meant to follow Jesus from those who came before him, but he was also a very competent teacher. He was refuting false doctrine in the cities where he went. These men were models for Titus. Paul's doing more than just giving Titus his ministry plans. He's presenting to Titus models that he can follow. Now, think about how that takes us back into the heart of the letter. How many times, how many times has Paul called on us or called on others to be models? In chapter 1, he's calling elders to be models for other Christians, to live godly lives so that they could lead others to do the same. In chapter 2, remember, we talked about how older men are to be models for younger men. Older women are to be models for younger women. Titus himself, Paul says, Titus, be models in all respect. Be a model. And then in chapters 2 and 3, he's constantly calling us as Christians to be models because people are looking at our lives. Adorn the doctrines of God. Live in such a way where those that are looking on us in the church are impressed by, not us, but by Jesus and sound doctrine. Over and over again, Paul has called us to be models. He's calling on the church to be models. So here's Paul's line of thinking. Jesus appeared once. Jesus came into the world. Jesus appeared, and through his life and his death and his resurrection, he showed himself to the world. And Jesus will appear a second time. Jesus will appear when he comes to judge the world and to set up his kingdom once and for all. 
Now, between those two appearances, his coming and his coming again, Paul wants people to continually see Jesus. How does he want Jesus to be seen between his first and his second coming? Through us. Paul's heart is show them Jesus. Show them Jesus. That's what it means to be Christian, little Christs, belonging to Christ. Show them Jesus. Now, on the island of Crete, that was boasting of being the birthplace of Zeus, you better believe that scattered all throughout the island were models, statues, images of Zeus reminding this group of people, this island of people who worshipped Greek gods or at least believed and assented to some type of Greek mythology, there were models all over that reminded them of Zeus. Paul is co-opting that. He's saying, no, 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 no. We're, not, we're, we're not called to be statues and to, and to make images of Jesus. You're his image. Show them Jesus through your lives. Be models for people to follow. When people look at us, we are walking billboards. Brothers and sisters, you know this. We are walking billboards for Jesus. When people know us to be followers of Christ, they look at us and think that's how Jesus is. For good or for bad, that's what they think. We're called to model Jesus, to show Jesus to the world. Now, Titus has been an intensely practical book. So if we conclude the letter this morning without ever getting to some practical evaluation, I think we'd be missing the point. And so my question is for all of us, what has God seemingly just been like putting his finger on in your life as we've worked through the book of Titus? Right? That's how God's word is meant to, to work. Right? God speaks to us. God instructs us. He encourages us. He corrects us. He's not condemning us. He's showing us areas of our lives where his grace and his mercy and his power is to be at work so that we can show them Jesus. You know, the more I spend time with Jesus, the more I'm constantly struck at his patience not only with me, but when you look at how many times he's teaching his disciples and they just don't get it. Like, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, and they're going to reject me totally. And they're off in the corner trying to decide who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Like, could you be any more thick-headed? I see myself there. Don't you see yourself sometimes where I should have been, I should have gotten this by now. I should have been this way by now. I should have been mature enough to be able to handle this situation better by now. Jesus is so patient with us. He's so loving towards us. He's not afraid to correct us, but it's always a patient guidance and correctance that he gives. Are you patient with anybody else? Are we growing and modeling the patience of Christ with our spouse? with our children, with those that we work with, with those that think completely differently than we do? Are we being patient? Are we modeling the patience of Christ? The men mentioned here in these closing verses were men who were committed, not to their own comforts, they were committed to advancing the mission of God. That's what they were doing. 
And just like Jesus, they prayed things, I'm sure, like, not my will be done. I've got plans, whether they're related to ministry or otherwise, I've got plans. But God, I'm just saying, your will be done, not mine. I don't see things the way you see things. I don't know what you know. I don't have planned necessarily what you have planned. So not my will, yours be done. Are we praying that type of prayer? And the other thing that you see so often as you study the life of Christ is how regular he was in pressing in and delighting in God in knowing God, in knowing the Bible, and in spending time in prayer with his Father. Are we modeling that in our lives? That, that's where the, the source of power comes from. Are we modeling Christ in this way? Paul's calling us. He's, he's encouraging Titus. He's, he's giving Titus these models to follow, but he also calls on Titus to be a model. And so, too, are we. We're to follow models and to be a model. So Paul is not just giving us models, though. He also gives us a method. So first he gives us a model in these Christian workers. Next he gives us a method. Verse 14. Look at verse 14 again. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So as, not, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Now again, Paul is not introducing something new. Think of how many times Paul has talked about works or good works in the letter to Titus. Seven times he mentions this. Chapter 1, verse 16, he says that the false teachers were unfit for any good work. They denied God by their works. Chapter 2, verse 7, Titus is to be a model of good works. Chapter 2, verse 14, Christ redeemed us that we'd be his people zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verse 1, we're to be ready for every good work. Chapter 3, verse 8, we're to be careful to devote ourselves to good works. So what Paul seems to be driving at again and again and again in this letter is that the most obvious way that we show Jesus to others is by living lives, living lives that are devoted to doing good things for other people. Be devoted to good works. That's the method. That's how we show Jesus to the world, by taking advantage of opportunities to be good to other people. Now, one of my favorite chapters, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, my group, the group of verses is, is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. A lot of us memorize that. A lot of us go there as we want to rest in the doctrine of, a, of election or prove it somehow to those who might disagree. You guys probably know this by heart, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we run there when we want to rest in the fact that we did nothing to save ourselves. It wasn't our works. We couldn't do enough. We couldn't earn God's favor in any way. But in our excitement and our enthusiasm for verses 8 and 9, we typically don't read verse 10, which says, For we are God's workmanship, created for what? Good works that God prepared in advance for us to walk in. So in the very same breath, the Apostle Paul says, you are not saved by your works, but 
you are saved for good works. In the same breath, we're saved not by our good works, but we are saved for good works. So the obvious implication here is that Titus and the Christians on the island of Crete were to make sure that they were practicing hospitality and, and giving financially to these two men, Zenos and Apollos. They're traveling and they need help. They need support. They need a place to stay. They need food to eat. They probably need money to travel. So the good work, the urgent need at this time was to make sure that those two men had what they need for gospel ministry. Now, like it or not, summer is now over. And I'm really bummed about that. And there is no way, there's no way to quantify or identify the thousands of needs of urgent cases of need that await us this fall. But just because we can't identify and quantify all of the needs, which none of us, or even as a church collectively, we could meet, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to meet any of them. This fall, I think, for many people, represents something that we've kind of been bracing for for the last three months. Like, what is school going to look like? What is work going to look like? What are the elections going to look like? What is the coronavirus going to do this fall? And on and on and on. There are so many needs, I believe, that await us and confront us that it would be easy just to hibernate in isolation and not seek in any way to meet needs. And so, again, practically speaking, Paul's Paul's aim, his, his pastoral heart is show them Jesus. The way you do that is by doing good to people. What needs, friends, what needs right now are you aware of, whether it's in this church or outside of the church? Whether it's in your family or in someone else's family? Whether it's in your school or at another school? What needs are you aware of right now? There's no way we can meet all of them. But God will have us meet some of them. He's prepared these works this fall for us to walk in. Are we ready for them? God's word is getting us ready for those good works. One of the coaches that our kids had in baseball used to say something just about every time the kids got up to bat. And I grew to love it. He'd get their attention from the third baseline. He said, yo, be productive. Be productive. Now, if you know anything about baseball, what he wasn't saying was, you better get a base hit. You better hit a home run, and you better crank a triple. That's not what he was saying at all. Because in baseball, there are tons of ways, when you're at the plate, to be productive. Be productive meant just put the ball in play. Force the defense to make a play. Force the defense to react because you never know what's going to happen. They could overthrow the ball. They could bobble the ball. Tons of stuff can happen. Just put the ball in play and go from there. Be productive. Be productive meant just move the runner over. Just move your teammate closer into scoring position. Even if you get thrown out, that's okay. You're productive by moving your teammate and advancing him another base. Even strikeouts can be productive. 
If you are up at bat and you're working the pitch count and you're forcing the pitcher to throw more pitches than he desired by following off, by watching balls go by, by making sure that you're only swinging at strikes, even if you go down swinging, you're still being productive. You're still contributing to the game. Now, what that coach would never stand for is the kid that got up to bat and left the bat on his shoulders and watched three strikes go by and go sit in the dugout. Like, that's not being productive. He never, st- he, nobody ever got encouraged for just standing there with the bat on their shoulders. That's not being productive. You see, there's no way that we're going to be able to crank every need that comes by us this fall. There's no way. But let's not be Christians that are always bad on the shoulder, assuming that need's going to be met by somebody else. Somebody else will take care of that need. Somebody else will meet that urgent need that's before me. Let's not be Christians that sit there with the bat on our shoulders. Take a swing. Church, take a swing this fall at meeting needs that are all around us. And I think, you know, I think especially as COVID lingers on, I think this is a good word for us because I think it'll be easy, again, to isolate ourselves for good reasons. I'm not going to quantify that or qualify that. There will be a a natural tendency as fall and as winter comes to hibernate and to be just unaware of everything going on around us and unaware of the needs that are existing all around us. I think it will be comfortable for us to be isolated. And I think this especially is a good word for us because even though it's easy right now to feel very overwhelmed and to think about tomorrow's coming and I got a whole host of things to come, I get it. Everyone's stressed right now. And and work is picking up. And and all of these things are competing for our attention. I know that. The problem is, is a lot of people feel that way. And if all we're ever thinking about is ourselves, we'll never show them Jesus if we're self-consumed all the time devoting ourselves to good works. We're not going to be able to do it all. God's not asking us to do it all, but we can do something. And so what we're trying to do is lean into Jesus. Where is he speaking? Where is he showing you needs that can be met in your life? Where is he showing you that even in weakness, even in in, in seasons of being overwhelmed, there's things that you can actually be refreshed by as you seek to refresh others, not in our own strength, not in our own power, not for our own benefit, not, not, not to make ourselves look good. God's not interested in our good works to make us look good for him. We know so clearly that that's not why God loves us. But that being said, as we abide in Christ, as we're near to Jesus, as we're listening to his voice, as we're learning his heart, he's going to lead us into good works. That's what we're after. And we can actually be energized by doing what Jesus is calling us to do and showing him to other people. So Paul gives us a model. He's giving Titus these Christian workers as a model. He's giving us a method. He's calling us to devote ourselves to good works. And finally, he gives us our motivation. A model, a method, and a motivation. Show them Jesus is Paul's heart. And he concludes with our motivation. Now, In ancient writings, it was very typical, very common to close with greetings and some type of well-wishing, some type of benediction. But Paul is doing so much more than just abiding by the constructs of ancient writing. That's not what his heart is here. 
Paul is reminding Titus in these short verses of the motive for why we do what we do. What is our motive? It's love and it's grace. Love and grace are why we do what we do. Paul is saying here, Titus, even though you're out there on that island, even though you're out there at sea, you're not adrift. You're not out there trying to get these fledgling churches their feet underneath them. You're not alone out there. You guys are not all by yourselves. We are with you, Titus. We love you and you love us. We're in this together. We have a mutual love for one another. That's why we show Jesus to one another inside and outside of the church. Why? Because God himself has poured his love into our hearts, and it's an overflowing type of love. It's a love that can't help but eventually look outward, wanting to show his love to one another. Show them Jesus is to show them God's love. Now, Last week, I was together with a real good friend, Josh, and we were talking together about how Jesus said that in the final times, and as evil were to increase, that the love of many would grow cold. And we were just talking about that and felt very challenged by that. Are we living in the end times? I have no idea. Nobody does. That's not what I'm saying. But I do feel a palpable sense of evil. And we, at times, feel that, not just culturally, but personally. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to feel evil. And I think that we are threatened right now with our love growing cold. It's, it's really hard to love other people when they think completely differently than I do and are very, very uh, bold in telling me that. It's hard to love other people that way. It's hard to love other people, and it's hard to really want to engage when it feels like the world is so out of sorts, and I would just much rather focus on my own wife, my own kids, my own family, and do our own thing. My love is growing cold. And I must assume, according to 1 John, that if my love for other people has grown cold, then my love for God is also growing cold. Because how can we love our brother who we can't see if we're not loving the brothers that we can see, if we're not loving other human beings whom we can see, 1 John says, then you don't love God who you can't see. He who loves God must also love his brother. So if my love for other people is growing cold, I must then conclude my love for God is growing cold. That scares me. That scares me as a Christian. That scares me as a church. I don't want my love. I don't want our love growing cold. That's what the world needs to see right now. That's what our neighbors, that's what we need to show each other. We need to love each other. We don't need to vote the same. We do not need to come to the same conclusions about what's safe for our family. We do not need to come to the same conclusions about how we're going to educate our children. We don't need to think the same. We don't need to dress the same. We do need to love each other. We need to love. Is your love growing cold? I feel threatened by that. Jesus' words mean something. And I don't want to be a church or a Christian whose love is growing cold, whether I'm living in the end times or not. I need desperately the Spirit of God to fill me that my love would not grow cold. So a regular question that we should be asking ourselves, what does love look like in this situation? What does love look like here? What does it look like to love this person right now? 
God, help us. I don't want our love growing cold. And the power, I believe, for our love not growing cold, the antidote to a a heart that's growing cold is where Paul leaves us off. The antidote for a heart that's threatened by a cold lowering of love is God's grace. It's the grace of God that is the antidote to a cold heart. God's grace, in this letter especially, has colored almost every verse. God's grace, the grace of God is drenching this letter. When we get off track, and we all do, we have to keep first things first. God's grace is what motivates us to continually love other people. God's grace reminds us that long before you and I were ever concerned about the urgent needs of others, God in heaven was desperately concerned about our case of urgent need. Right? If we are Christians this morning, we know that we were not seeking after God. We were not like knocking on heaven's door just so desperate to get in. Paul tells us that we were foolish. We were disobedient. We were enslaved by all kinds of things that drew us further and further away from God. That's where God found us. And he said, here's the deal. This is how this goes down. I've come into the world not to condemn you. I've come to save you. This is how it works. I'm going to take all of your sin, all of the ways that you haven't been a model, all of the ways that you haven't loved, all of the ways that you haven't devoted yourself to doing people good. I'm going to take all of the things that you do wrong and I'm going to lay them on my son, Jesus, who's going to die in your place. And then I'm going to take all of Jesus' perfect moral attributes, all of his goodness, all of his righteousness, and I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to lay that on you. So not only do you have a completely clean slate, you've been invested with the very righteousness of my perfect son, Jesus. That's what secures you in my love forever. That's the grace of God that comes to us and says, I'm not going to treat you like your sins deserve. I love you. And by no merit of your own, I've graced you with everything you need to be my child. The grace of God is saturating this letter. Paul has been so clear on this. Now, whether it was the first day of school or any day of school, one of my childhood memories is, by, is, is of being completely nervous every morning. Like I'd wake up nervous that I was going to miss the bus. As a young kid, I don't know why. I was given anxiety even then. I would wake up nervous that I was going to miss the bus. Why? Well, for a number of reasons. I didn't want to miss time with my friends. That was like the best part of my day. I didn't want to show up embarrassed because my mom and my dad were dropping me off. And I hated, even as a young kid, I hated starting the day already feeling like I was behind. Like everybody's there getting situated and getting their day rolling, and I'm just like disoriented. I hate starting days like that. I think some of us as Christians feel like we've missed the bus. And maybe you're not even a Christian. Maybe you're here or maybe you're watching at home and you you would say, I'm not a Christian. And so maybe you feel as if that's the way God looks at your life, like you've missed the bus. Like the bus has gone on and you've been left behind. 
the grace of God says this. You know what? You're actually right. You have missed the bus. Like, there are all kinds of ways where you haven't done what we're talking about here. But the grace of God says that bus, that bus is always on a loop. God's running the route again. Like, God's not going to leave you behind no matter how many times you fail. If you're a child of God, that bus is looping back again. It's not leaving you behind. And every single time the bus comes to stop, it's always the same message. Repent and believe the gospel. I know that you failed. I know that you've missed the bus. But I'm looping back around again to scoop you up. Believe in me. Believe in Christ. See him afresh. He's all that you need to be included in the direction I'm moving in. And I want you on the bus. I'm not leaving you behind. Just come to me. Believe in me. Turn away from the things that are keeping you off the bus and get on the bus again. I will take you where you want to go, where I'm desiring of you to go. Jump on the bus. Grace tells us the bus is on the loop. The route is always being rerun. God's coming to scoop us up again and again and again. If you really believe that, if you really believe in the strength and the power and the beauty of Christ, that's how you'll show Jesus to other people. It's not by our efforts. It's not by what we do. It's because we're trying to fight to stay near to this beautiful Savior, to know Him, to be so abiding in Him. In fact, He said, unless you're abiding in me, you can't do anything. If we fight to stay near to Jesus, to continually see who He is, and to listen to his voice leading us in very practical ways in our lives, that, friends, that is how we show Jesus to a watching world, in his strength, with his joy, with his love, with his peace. That's the type of Christian I want to be. That's a Christian I know you want to be as well. Show them Jesus has been Paul's pastoral heart again and again and again in this letter have the band return. We're going to close in worshiping Jesus again before we end our time. But I really believe, I really believe that Titus has been for us a timely word. And I know, like me, I know that many of us are feeling apprehensive about the fall. I know that the fall represents a lot of uncertainty. But I think if we see it through the lens of what God's been telling us here in Titus, we can actually see it as a fall of many opportunities, as an opportunity to show Jesus to other people, to show Jesus to one another in a church. By grace, God through Titus has invited us into his plans. By grace, through the letter of Titus, God has invited us into his purposes. And by grace, God is going to empower us for the weeks and the months ahead to show Jesus to the world around us. Amen? Let's worship Jesus together.